when you don't know what to do, ask the Lord. Amen. And as we'll learn from our text this morning, when you think you do know what to do, you need to ask the Lord. So uh, we'll begin in uh, the book of Joshua this morning. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 7, and today uh, we're going to look at a couple of uh, of folks in the Bible, important figures in the Word of God. Um, Joshua this morning, and then tonight, uh, we're going to look at uh, Moses' life a little bit, as the Lord calls him uh, to service. And and this morning, um, we see, despite your efforts, despite your good intentions, and even despite how you begin. Uh, it is easy to waste opportunity, time, possibility, and um, we can learn a lot from this account in Joshua chapter 7 this morning as it relates to us as we seek to honor God and live, you know, a life pleasing unto Him, uh, to be warriors in a culture that's absolutely lost its mind and throwed off any restraint that God has given us that is good for us. And uh, we're living in, in this world, and we're called to uh, discern the times, to know the times, and to know our response uh, in light of what we are dealing with culturally as it relates to Christianity, but also family, government, institutions, all of these things uh, that affect us at a, at a very granular level in our lives. Uh, so uh, Joshua helps us to understand how not to waste opportunity and possibility. So I want to ask you, if you would, this morning uh, to stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. We'll, be, we'll begin here in verse 1 uh, of chapter 7, and then we'll read down there through verse uh, 13. Beginning in verse 1, But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things, for Achan the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things, so the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth-Avon on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up, spy out the country. And so the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua, and they said to him, Do not let all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not weary all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. And so about 3,000 men went up there from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai struck down about 36 men, for they chased them from before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them down on the descent. And therefore the hearts of the people melted and became like water. And then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord evening. And both he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads and Joshua said, Alas, Lord, God, why have you brought this to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Oh, that we have been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. Oh, Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? And so the Lord said to Joshua, Get up. How do you lie thus on your face? Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. 
For they have even taken some of the accursed things and have brought both stolen and deceived, and they have also put it among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, their backs before their enemies, because they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you anymore unless you destroy the accursed from among you. Get up, sanctify the people. Say, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow, because thus says the Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. Well, let us pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. May we hide it in our heart that we might not sin against you. May we learn from this, Father. Teach us. And God, I pray that you would draw us, that you would, uh, Lord, encourage us as we walk. But Lord, convict us of areas in our life that are not right. Uh, that, Lord, we would uh, be, be willing to give up those things that, Lord, are not in your will, that are not part of your plan for our life, that we would live lives that would be worthy of the name Christian, worthy of our calling. And, Lord, this morning may I be faithful to preach as a dying man to dying people, and you be glorified, Father, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. And you may be seated. Well, as we uh, read this in context, this defeat comes on the heels of a great, victory. As a matter of fact, if you just uh, think about all the different things through the years that, that, that you've learned and that you would teach to your kids, no doubt the Battle of Jericho is something that a lot of people are familiar with. Uh, this incredible uh, fortified city, and yet it was through such an interesting style of warfare, you might say, a very unique approach to battle that brought the walls of Jericho down. And it was a great defeat. Uh, everybody could only point to the Lord for giving them that defeat. And they marched up into uh, Jericho and took that fortified city. So a great uh, victory has taken place. And of course in chapter 7, uh, there's another country as they're going in, another city to uh, attack as they are going in to possess that promise, the promised land that God gave them, they have to fight for it, okay? Uh, they have to uh, be, if you will, the hands and the feet. They have to do what God has called them to do. And uh, so as they are uh, approaching this city of Ai, there's some background information here. that At the time, Joshua is unaware of. Joshua is unaware that a man named Achan and, and, and his family have been guilty of taking things that they were not supposed to take, and therefore it has affected the entire camp. Now it's interesting in verse 3 that Joshua's plan, as, as, as a, a very knowledgeable military person that he was, uh, he says, hey, I want you to go up and I want you to just look, spy, see what the city of Ai is like, and you know, strategically let me know what you think. And then we will, you know, seek the Lord. We'll, we'll, you know, get a plan together and we'll go pursue and continue to follow, uh, you know, the Lord's instruction as it relates to possessing the promised land. So in verse 3, now this, this, there's, this is not in the sermon per se. I mean, this is like the prelude to the sermon, but I'm going to get there, I promise. But verse 3, there's something really, really interesting that takes place and everybody can learn from it. I mean, this is such an applicable point certainly in the time in which we live in today, 
where everybody has an opinion, right? And everybody wants to share that opinion, right? And because it's on Facebook, it's true, right? I heard it on the internet. It's the gospel. Well, in verse 3, it says, and they, you know, how many times has the church been handicapped by the committee of they? Think about it for a minute. You know, they're all, they're, they're, they, are, they are always out there, aren't they? They're just there. And uh, they returned, and they said to Joshua, they said, you know what, man, we looked up here, and I mean, here we are. Uh, we're Region 1, 7A, and these folks right here, they're just a little old single-A school. They ain't got a chance, man. There ain't no, no need for all of us to go up there. We'll just, we'll just send the, the, the bench riders in there. They'll take care of it, man. No need to trouble everybody. They've done a great thing. Let everybody take this week off. Now, that turns out to be horrific advice for Joshua. So you have to be careful who you get your counsel from. Amen? Be careful who you surround yourself with. Uh, everybody's got an opinion and just because it sounds good and you think, you know, that, that makes sense. When it comes to the things of God, we need to make sure that God's okay with this because the Lord wasn't okay with this. Didn't have anything to do necessarily with the number of men he was bringing up against the city of Ai, but it had everything to do with the hearts of the people. And, and upon inquiry to the Lord as to what to do, the Lord would have given him the same advice that he started to give him the counsel in verse 10. Because that needed to precede what they were about to do. Listen, never going to do much for God when there's sin in the camp. Amen? Never going to accomplish a lot for God when we're not doing it His way. Uh, you know, just to go back to VBS this week, and I sincerely mean to those who prayed, to those who prayed, for those who worked and for those children that came, hey, you will not accomplish anything for God disconnected from the power of God. And how is it that we connect with God? We connect uh, to God through prayer. Very important. We should never attempt to do the work and the will of God disconnected from the power of God through prayer. We never should do that. So that's a, that's a you know, recipe for a disaster every time. And so they give Joshua this counsel... And it causes them to relax. This is the typical no self-awareness. So how is it that we waste opportunity? Well, we waste those opportunities when we let the guard down. When we don't have enough self-awareness to understand who the real enemy is here. See, we've kind of done that in our culture today. Um, there is this, uh, interestingly enough, when it relates to people's responsibility... Back years ago, there was this horrific event that took place in New York City. There was a woman, she was out in the evening, she might have been jogging or something like that, and she was attacked, and eventually she, she died from this attack. What was uh, bizarre about this is that the woman was heard screaming by all of the neighbors in the neighborhood. And, and nobody did anything. As a matter of fact, in light of her screaming, the attacker left for a few moments and actually came back. Many people heard it, but nobody did anything. And so this, this woman ended up dying from the injuries that she sustained in this attack, this mugging that took place. 
And so upon understanding that it was in a, a neighborhood where people, they knew her, uh, and, and you could say they were close neighbors, they were surprised that nobody acted, that nobody was responsible enough to, to even dial 911. And so they began to look into this further, and they came up with this principle called the bystander effect. And they, and they come to this understanding that if there is one witness to a crime, over 85% of the time that person will get involved. They'll call or even uh, make themselves available to help. But if there's just two, if there's, just, if there's just two people there, that number drops to, I think, 62% of the time. And so on and so forth. So they understood that the more people that are witness to something, the less likely people are to get involved. And they called that the bystander effect. In other words, the, the, the more people that are, that, are, that are witnessing something, the less likely anybody is to be responsible to do what is right. So it asked, we have to ask the question, then why? The reason why is because everybody in their mind believes somebody else is going to do it. Somebody else is going to do it. Now, man, you can sit there and just take that one little thing and you can think about our culture today in which we find ourselves battling over things that I, I don't think we would have ever thought we would be talking about. But if you go back and you look over several decades now, we have kind of thought, well, somebody, surely somebody that we've elected or something, somebody with some common sense is going to do something that is right. And I think if we just go back and we look, certainly from a political point of view, we can understand that that ain't the case. They should, but it's evident that they don't. And so we have to be, as people of God, responsible. And if we don't want to waste our opportunity and we don't want to waste the possibility of our life, we need to understand who it is that we're waging war with. That, that, that the enemy, that the devil, that Satan is not some made-up figure that we've handed down through history to try to keep folks in line. He's real. And he is at work in this culture. As we talked about last week and through the week, there are but two kingdoms. And there is a ruler of each of those kingdoms. And the, and the devil is alive and he is well at work manipulating institutions and, and using all manner of people to undermine and to destroy the Christian founding of our own nation, much, much less the nations in, in that, that are across the pond from us that are miles down the road to perdition from where we are even today. They've long given up that. Walk through England today. Churches are museums. Churches are nightclubs. Churches are video stores. Even video stores. I mean, how bad do you have to be to be a video store today? I mean, who can even find a video store today? And yet there's some in, in England today, churches that are video stores. Well, that's terrible. Who is it that we're up against? And for this moment, the men that spied out AI, they said basically to Joshua, look, let's just relax a little bit. They're few. No need to bother everybody else. A level of overconfidence. 
being overconfident. Coming on the heels of a great victory. And, and by the way, I don't know about you, but I found this in my own life that, that, that when God, you know, kind of uh, uh, does something uh, big, answers a, a prayer in your life, or you've, you're tested and, you, and you've come through that fire and, 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 you're, and you've been purified a little more. And, and you know, if we're not careful, we kind of like, man, you know, I got this. And that's when usually the next step is, this, is, is the curve we didn't see. And we're flat on our face before long. At least that's been my experience. Uh, there's a level of a, a lack of self-awareness, overconfidence. You've come off a great victory. You've experienced something. You're just like, man, I am on a roll. And next thing you are, you are rolling. Rolling on the floor. Because pride comes before that fall. So first of all, there is a, a letting down of the guard. Don't trouble all of Israel. Just send up a few. This is not that big a deal. Well, Joshua takes that advice. And they underestimate their enemy greatly. Though Ai is a small place, the fight of those men is not small at all. Notice the scriptures say that they struck them down on the descent. They're running. They're running for their life. And the reason more of them weren't struck down is they just didn't catch them. But they're running for their life, running in fear. After this great victory, they're running for their lives because we need to understand, Jesus said of the devil in John chapter 8 that he was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. That is Christ's description of who our enemy is. Now, I don't know if... I don't know if we're serious, but I think he's pretty serious. I know the Lord's serious. But are we serious about the, the nature of the enemy in which we are fighting? Uh, the pride, the arrogance. We can be puffed up. We can be overconfident. We can lack self-awareness, and we become easy prey for our enemy. Peter described our enemy as a roaring lion walking to and fro, seeking who he can devour, looking for the overconfidence, looking for pride to wedge itself in our life. We live in a world that is consumed with that. I mean, for crying out loud, the, the enemies of the gospel, they, they, they celebrate Pride Month as a part of I mean, there's no other way to describe it, but it's just an outright shaking our fist at God. That which you said is bad, we're going to say it's good. That which you said we are to turn from, we're going to embrace that. And we'll teach that. And, and we'll use it as, as, as our religion to disciple your children. Joshua failed to under stand who the real enemy is. And when we underestimate our enemy, when we're overconfident, pride certainly will go before the fall. But there's a third thing I want us to look here too. In verse 6, we see that we lose sight of the vision. Notice in verse 6, Joshua, he, he, he tears his clothes as, as a form of repentance. 
uh, as an as as acknowledgement over the brokenness of this, but he's coming to the wrong conclusion. Not only him, but the elders. Notice what he says in verse 7. Joshua says, Alas, Lord, why have you, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites? Now, you, you can read that as many times as you want to, and you understand who Joshua has shifted the blame to, right? It's not my fault. God, it, it, it's your fault. Is, is this not so reminiscent of, of Exodus? Now, now, Joshua would be so familiar with this because he heard it for 40 years. I mean, God would. Why did you bring us out of Egypt to let us die in the wilderness? I mean, how many times had Joshua heard that? Experienced that? The funerals that, that went, he went to through that generation as they died off because they were unworthy to possess that which God had given them. And here is Joshua, face down before the Lord. And what conclusion does he come to? God, if you, I don't know, I, I don't understand what you're doing. You brought us over the river just for us to die here? And again, wouldn't we be better off over yonder, enslaved, not living God's best, not living in victory? But Lord, there's some kind of comfort in defeat. This is so familiar. Because he lost track of his vision and the destination that God had in mind. Folks, I don't have to tell you life ain't easy. It's not. It's difficult. No doubt about it. It's, it's made more difficult, though, when as a, as, a, as a Christian, as a believer, when I choose to do it my way and not God's way, I can promise you it will be, it will be harder when we do that. Because now, you know, we, it's the old, you know, the, the, the adage of, you know, one step forward, two steps back kind of thing. And believe me, hey, you have those in your walk with God. You, you absolutely do. It's, it's, it's part of that sanctification process. Sometimes we, we get it. Sometimes we don't. And we have to back up and we have to move forward again, take our licks, uh, humble ourselves, and, and then move forward. That happens. It's a part of discipleship. Takes place in our lives, no doubt. But that happens when we lose sight of God's plan, God's vision, His purpose, and what He's called us to do. We're too enamored with the results today. And, and, and God wants us to simply be faithful. God wants us to believe that, that what He has in mind for us is good. It's attainable because at the end of the day, we're going to accomplish it not in our strength, but in His. God's going to get the glory for that. And that what He has in mind is good. It's good for us. It's good for Him with respect to what He is desiring to do. And we're faithful and sometimes we don't see the results. We get discouraged. But God's not called us to the results. God's called us to be faithful. And in time, regardless of how you know, long that may take, it is God who works. Listen, listen, nobody is going to be saved and won to the kingdom because of my charisma. 
They're not. Because we're talking about a supernatural work of God in salvation. And I'm I'm not beating myself over the head worried about if they said the right thing, if they prayed the right thing, because at the end of the day, if it is true and it is real and it is sincere, that tree will establish roots and it will bring forth what? Fruit. Nowhere in Scripture does it talk about examining what we've said. It, It talks about examining the fruit. And if there is fruit, it's because there is a root that is producing that, and we are abiding to some extent in the person of Jesus Christ. That's how it happens. Because it's the fruit of the Spirit of God, not the fruit of Steve Tucker. It's the fruit of the Spirit of God. Sometimes we get sidetracked. Joshua here, the great leader that he was, he has a moment of where he loses sight of vision and destination. It causes him to be unfaithful. In a sense, it causes them to be demoralized. Now, this is is how the enemy works. If I can demoralize you, you'll give up hope. Now, folks, we can live without a lot of stuff. We can live without the Internet, believe it or not. We can live without it. Even though I don't have cable, and that's the only cable I got. But I I can live without the Internet. I can live without the accoutrements of my entertainment, you know. There's a lot of things we can live without. I mean, if we just get it all back down to the basics, you know, we need some, we need some food, we need some water, and we need some, some shelter, right? That's, that's, that's the bare necessities, the basics. We can live without a lot of things, but you cannot live without hope. For very long. You won't last very long without that. And what we understand when, when we're talking about, you know, losing these things, falling short, things are not working out according to my expectations or my plan, we don't lose heart and we don't lose hope in the Lord. Because when we are demoralized and we want to give up, we come up with this idea, well, it's no use. And, we, and, and you can look around at our culture today. We, you're bombarded with news that tells you there's no hope. You're losing. Are we going to believe that? Or are we going to trust the Lord and say, well, you know what? I'm going to be faithful. And I'm going to raise my family, my children, up in a way in accordance with Scripture because I believe God is true. Or are we just going to give up? See, Joshua was, was demoralized. And, and this is essentially what he's saying. He's saying, Lord, I'm, I'm just giving up here. I mean, why have you brought us over here to die? He's, he's struggling. Fourth thing here, he shifts from blaming the Lord to now woe is me. Joshua thinks at this moment, well, it's all about me. What are they going to think about me? My reputation is going to be harmed. Notice what he says in verse 8. Oh, Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? Well, hold on a minute. Who does Israel belong to? 
Is that not the Lord's people? It's not Joshua's people. It's the Lord's people. Sometimes we make the battle more than what it really is. Sometimes we make the situation into something bigger than what it is. As a matter of fact, we could probably say this with a lot of confidence, that we often concern ourselves too much with things that honestly are never going to happen. They occupy so much of maybe even our prayer life, which sometimes is just worrying in the name of Jesus about things that are never going to happen. Sometimes we do far too much of that. And, and, and Joshua's concern now is, what are they going to think of me? Because they're going to ask me, right? They're going to ask me, you know, why did you mess it up? You're supposed to be this great military commander. I mean, you know, Moses anointed you. He put his hand on you. You, you succeeded him. You're supposed to have it all figured out. And what are they going to think about me? And they're going to hear about this, Lord. I don't know if you know this, but we got this thing today called the Internet, and it's going to go viral, and everybody's going to hear about it. And what are they going to think? Boy, them people in there ain't got their act together. They're dumb as dirt, and it's going to all be a mess. What am I to do? Do you think God's worried about that? Do you think God is worried about these overnight viral YouTube sensations? I mean, look, folks, our, our, our world's messed up today. I get it. I mean, when, you, when, when, you know, when, when you're putting a guy's face on a can that thinks he's a girl and that's your marketing scheme, I should have got a marketing degree. I mean... I just I know that's dumb. That's really dumb. And satanic too, but it's dumb. I mean, when you're in the clothes designing business and you openly are a Satanist and you are like proud of that, and you get, you know, a big box store like Target to say, hey, that's a good thing, you know, we like this. That's weird. That's dumb. It's satanic. Uh don't make a lot of sense to me, but Again, I serve a God who is a God of order and not the God that is the God of confusion, right? We, we, we live in a messed up world, no doubt. But everything that we're preaching from this book, this is not, it's not my kingdom. It's God's. And God's, he's, he's a big God. I mean, he's just, you know, he's just the sovereign Lord of the universe, you know. I, I, I mean, I think he, I really do. I think he has a plan. And I, and I think what we can understand with respect to Joshua this morning is that when Joshua is on God's plan, Joshua is a different man than when Joshua is on Joshua's plan. And you and I are much different people when we are loving and following and serving a God faithfully than when we're demoralized over here and we think it's all on you. It's all on us. I heard somebody say one time, you ought to be thankful for bad luck, otherwise you'd have to be to blame yourself. 
Thank God for bad luck, otherwise I'd have to take responsibility for this. I mean, we love to shift it, don't we? So what is God's solution here? What's His counsel? To avoid this wasted opportunity. He says to Joshua, okay, you're on your face, you're praying, you've got the right posture, You've got the right actions. But sincerely, Joshua, it's time to get up. Because there's something that you need to do and it has nothing to do with you need to send more men to Ai. you got sin in the camp. We've just, we've just had this whole ceremony where we sanctified ourselves and we consecrated ourselves unto the Lord. We saw the miracle of crossing the Jordan. We built... Uh, we, we built this monument of stones there to remind us of, the, of my faithfulness. And now here we are after Jericho and you think I've just gone? No, Joshua, there's sin in the camp. It's an accursed thing and it's got to be real. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to let everybody know that I'm not an idiot. I know what's going on and there's sin in this camp. And there's not going to be no more victory, no more success until it's gone. So you go do your job, Joshua. Translation to you and I today. When we fail and God puts His finger on a place in my life that I am reluctant to give Him the key to, and He just keeps pressing, because He's 24-7, right? And He keeps pressing... And he is saying to you and me this morning that when I put my finger on when the Holy Spirit identifies it as an issue and he checks me, I can either do it my way, cast blame, try to be you know, irresponsible, whatever it is you want to call it, but at the end of the day, the pressure's not going to relent until I get rid of that accursed thing. And that's what he's doing here in Joshua's life and in the life of his people. So it comes down to where we started there in verse 1. A man by the name of Achan. He took the accursed things. And it's interesting in his response after it's found out. In verse 20, as to the charge, Achan answers Joshua and he says, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I have done. Now, now listen to this. He says, When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment. Okay? Now, first of all, let's just, let's just read this for what it is. Achan had an eye for fashion. He had an eye for fashion. Consuming our culture, you would not find Achan wearing white pants before the appropriate time. He's not wearing a plaid shirt with a striped tie. He has an eye for fashion. He says, I, I saw this garment and it caught my eye. I mean, nobody in Israel's wearing this, man. How would I look with that? So he takes the garment 
And isn't that the way, you know, James talks about how we're lured away by our desires? It's, it's like fishing or hunting over a corn pile, lured away, right, you know, entrapping. It's all legal today, but I mean, you know what I'm saying. You, you, there's a reason you're pouring corn out in the middle of the woods, right? He sees the garment. Notice the progression. Then he sees the silver. And then he sees the gold. You see that progression? It's just a simple thing. It's just a garment. Now it's silver. And now it's gold. And it's amazing at how with each step there, He's, he's now to a wedge of gold, 50 shekels of it, no little amount. And notice what it says. He says, I coveted it. Understand, co- you know, covet- covetousness was a direct contrast, a breaking of the law of God. And he says, and I, I, I desired it, and I took it. He's, he, he coveted it, and he stole it. And then notice what it says too. Where did he put it? In the middle of his tent, middle of his home, down in the earth. Now why why is that important? Where am I going with this? You you understand that this is not the the destination that that God has in mind for them. They're, They're going to route out the enemies of God in the promised land and then Joshua's going to divide it up among the tribes. This is not where they're going to be staying. They're going to be moved. That's why they're living in tents. So they can pack it up and move on to the next thing. But, but what is Achan telling us? He's putting it down in the ground. What is he doing? He's establishing roots here. See, this is, this is our issue today. We are far too comfortable with the, with the things of this world. We are enamored with stuff. And we are attracted to it. And at the end of the day, it is not going with you. What a contrast. Achan put it in the dirt, in the earth, in the midst of his tent. And the Lord tells us from a New Testament standpoint, where are we to put our treasure? We're to lay it up in heaven. Where moth and rust and thieves, they, they cannot... They cannot destroy it. See, Achan wasn't planning on moving forward. Achan was planning staying right there. And boy, the consequences that it had. His whole family dies as a result of this. And understand, you know, this Babylonian garment. Understand, this is, this is the Tower of Babel. This goes back to Shinar. This is, this, is, this is when the Bible talks about sin and, and, the, and the beginnings of sin and, and the, the central locale for sin and, and, and the capital, if you will, of the enemies of God. It's always Babylon. It's, it's, it's the Babylonian. It's, it's a direct issue with my love for the world as opposed to the things of God. He says, you've got to root it out. And Achan and his family were destroyed. Now, sounds harsh, but it is 
very similar to what happens in Acts at the beginning of the church. I think God set a precedent here in Joshua, just like God would set a precedent over in Acts, to try to get us to understand the seriousness and the consequences of sin. It doesn't just affect you. It doesn't just affect me. It affects others. And just as God made Joshua realize how destructive it was early on so that in chapter 8 they are victorious at Ai and that how eventually they possess that land and they divide that land up. He wanted him to understand that you're never going to accomplish the will I have for you if you do not take seriously sin and what it will do. Just like when God was establishing the church in the New Testament and you had Ananias and Sapphira and, 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 and lying and trying to deceive the church from the, its earliest point, God said, I'll have none of it to establish in the hearts of those new believers thousands of years down the road the importance of, of, of keeping short accounts with God and rooting sin out in our lives. It affects every time. Are we perfect? No. But that's why we have the Holy Spirit. God puts His finger on those areas of our life. And there's, if you're a child of God and you're outside the will of God, you've done something that you know is wrong, it's not like the Holy Spirit's not going to check you. He's not just, you know what, I, I watched Oprah today and I think it's all right now. I mean, he, that's not the way it works. You know, I read an article on uh, Crosswalk or whatever it is and, you know, they, they decided to change theology. I think, I think I'm going to go right along with that. I, I was listening to Caleb today and now everything I've ever believed from an orthodox standpoint is, it's all wrong now and I'm just going to go with something new. I mean, you know, that's not the way the Holy Spirit works. I read a book. It was on Action Alley at Walmart. Now I've just completely changed my belief system. God doesn't work like that. Thank God it doesn't work like that. And sometimes, in this case, Joshua had lost track of where he was going. And sometimes we are, it's easy to get bogged down in just living life and forget what's important. I, there's an interesting story about uh, Queen Victoria before she ever, you know, took the monarch of Great Britain, United Kingdom. And growing up as a child, her tutors were always frustrated. And her parents, too, for that matter. They were frustrated with her lack of, of, of care or concern about, you know, learning the appropriate things. She just didn't, she just didn't care. She took it as just kind of a joke. And one day, one of her tutors sat down with her and said to her, Victoria, don't you realize that one day you're going to be queen? You're going to be the queen of England. You're, gonna, you're, you're going to be in a position of power and influence. You are going to be the highest, you know, you're, you're going to be the monarch of this kingdom. And, and upon that revelation of just being straightforward to her, she looked at her tutor and she said, well, I guess in light of that, I should be good. I should do what is right. 
Absolutely. And from that point forward, she had no issue with it anymore because she was told what's at stake here. What's the point? And we need to understand as Christian people, young and old, that, that we're just not here to have influence, uh, get a bunch of uh, accomplishments or compliments, and, and further my name. I, I, back a few years ago, there was a book that came out by, I'm not going to call the name, but everybody that's in Southern Baptist culture would know the, the preacher. And he wrote a book for preachers that was called Building Your Spiritual Resume. And I just thought, for what? For what? If I serve the King of Glory, I think he's pretty familiar with my spiritual resume. And if it's not any good, he probably ain't going to pass it on to anybody else. Well, no, you know what he's talking about, just like I knew what he was talking about. How to go from the rural church to the first church. That's what the name of the book should have been. That's what the, book, that's what the name of the book should have been. Folks, let me tell you, all of us in this room, if we're blood-bought believers, God says this about us, we are the ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have been given a message of reconciliation to bring a lost world that is dying and headed for hell under the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and the authority of Scripture. That is who we are and that is what we are to do. And if we take that serious, it ought to change. It ought to absolutely change how we look at life and every day we live this side of heaven. That's the big picture. That's the vision. That's the point. We need not waste the opportunity that God's given us here, right? We all got a dash, and we're living it right now. Live it for the glory of God. Don't waste your life. Don't waste this opportunity that the Lord has given us. Let's pray this morning. Father, it's a joy to be in your house, and it is a joy to know that, Lord, I am bought with a price. I'm not my own. Lord, we are yours. God, help us to live and serve and seek diligently to live a life well-pleasing to you. Lord, we're not perfect, but Lord, we serve the perfect one. And Lord, we're made right and perfect in the eyes of our Father because of the finished work on that cross. The, The applied imputed righteousness of Jesus on my account. I'm right with you. I'm right with God. God, help us to realize that and may it forever change our life. I pray that you would move in our hearts today, put your finger on things that are not right, and give us the strength and the encouragement to do the right thing. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.